Grab your copy of the Word. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. What um, we'll consider this morning is this reality of waiting. Uh, specifically when God waits. And so to kind of bring the storyline up to where we are here in chapter 11, John chapter 10 closed with the, with the Jews attempting to kill Jesus when he declared in verse 30, I and the Father one. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And then later in verse 39, they are seeking to arrest him, but he escapes from their hands. And so after these events, when Jesus declared himself to be one with the Father, which in the Jews' minds was blasphemy, they are in their minds rightly going to stone him. Uh, Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he travels northeast across the Jordan River. Uh, and he's, he's not doing this to avoid death. Let's be clear here. Jesus had no intention to avoid death. He was only going to die when it was time for him to die. And so he was dying according to his, his calendar and the, the Father's calendar. And so he's not leaving simply to avoid death, but to avoid wrongly timed death. He knew that, that death was imminent and death was, in fact, necessary. But his death happened on his schedule. Nothing or no one could expedite this appointment that Jesus had with death and not even these Jews here in Jerusalem. Uh, he was in absolute and total control of all events leading up to his crucifixion, even the crucifixion itself, and uh, in total control of the events that we'll find in our, in our text today. In chapter 11, we're, we're introduced to the final sign of the Messiah, and this final sign is is ultimately the, the climax of the previous signs. And so uh, this final sign, we won't get to it this morning, but next week we'll see this final sign is actually Jesus brings someone back from the dead. And so he's performed particular miracles leading up to this point. We'll consider those again next week. But this, this sign in, in chapter 11 is a climax. It's the pinnacle of all these other signs. And what's going to happen in chapter 11 is the events are going to start m to move the narrative of the life of Jesus toward his final Passover, which is going to ultimately trigger Jesus' arrest and execution and then his resurrection. And so we read this story that we have before us in chapter 11, and we're going to wonder why wait? It, it, from a finite way of thinking, it makes no sense. And it makes no sense in large part because we live in a, a culture of instant gratification, right? We want what we want, and we don't want it tomorrow. We want it now. And everything around us is geared toward instant gratification. And Jesus, however, faced with a great need from a family that will see that he loves dearly, he just waits. So let's read the text, verses 1 through 16, and then... Look at what the word is saying to us this morning. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, pay attention to these words, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble 
because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Interesting turning in the story here where Jesus hears gets word, messengers come to him to tell him that someone that is very close to him is near death, and Jesus does nothing, apparently, to avoid this situation. And so what, what I want us to consider as we walk through these first verses of John chapter 11 is what it, what it looks like when God waits, and more specifically in the story here, why does Jesus wait? Why does Jesus wait? And so the first statement that we have to consider in the introductory matter here is that Jesus waited to demonstrate his love. Jesus waited to demonstrate his love. Verses 1 through 3, we're introduced to this family and Jesus' relationship with this family. We see that he knows this family well. They're not strangers. They're not just someone who just reaching out for hope with this guy who's a miracle worker. They actually know Jesus and know him well. John introduces uh, this family as including Mary, verse 2, the one who anointed Jesus with anointed Jesus' feet with uh, oil and wiped his feet, wiped those feet with her hair, uh, which is interestingly an event that doesn't happen until chapter twelve. You're thinking, wait, we haven't covered that yet. That doesn't happen until chapter twelve. But John is writing so much later that he's just making this assumption that the readers of this, the the gospel account that he's writing are aware of this event, and so when they hear. Oh, it's Mary, it's Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. They make the connection to who this actually is. And so, as this family that's close to Jesus and fairly prominent in Jewish life, as we'll see with the group of mourners that'll be around there after Lazarus does die, they ask Jesus to come back to the what we would consider the epicenter of hostility near Jerusalem. Bethany's just being two miles away from Jerusalem, as we find later in the story, and we know that this is a dire situation. This family loves Jesus, so certainly they wouldn't ask Jesus to put his life at risk unless someone else's life was at risk. And so in this, in this dire situation, they send word to Jesus to inform him, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. We know that not much time has transpired in between the events of chapter 10 and the events in chapter 11 because the disciples say in verse 8 to Jesus, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? So not much time has transpired here. But what is the appeal that comes from the family to Jesus? Did you catch the language there in verse 3? So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They appeal to Jesus on the basis of love. And as we see the story over the next couple of weeks, we'll see that love is a thread that's just woven through this whole event in the life of Jesus. And then John is going to go in verse 5 and tell us that Jesus loves this family very deeply. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, intentionally calling them all three out by name or by person, pointing to the fact that Jesus loves them individually and collectively as, as a family. Why such an emphasis on love here as John is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing about this crazy event that's going to transpire in the life of Jesus? He wants the reader to see Two things, the matchless power of Jesus, 
but also the deep, deep love of Jesus and that he loves these people. These aren't just these aren't just names. These aren't just faces to him. These these people represent a relationship that he has with a family and with individuals. Which reminds us that Jesus is not disconnected from emotional, from heart-wrenching aspects of human life. He wasn't just devoid of emotional capacity. In fact, we'll see later on in the story that Jesus actually weeps over this whole event and we'll consider what that means. Also, if you think about it, John emphasizing so much Jesus' love for this family helps us to think about Jesus' response to the 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 information that the one whom you love is, is, is ill. And Jesus says, this illness doesn't lead to death. Verse four, it's for the glory of God. So the son of God may be glorified through it. And then Jesus waits. Verse six, he stays two days longer. And so if you think, if you think in the way that we think, the most loving thing would have been for Jesus to do what? Man, pack up and roll out. Right? He can come in and save the day. Or in fact, you can actually do what you did to that official son and you can just speak a word from a distance, and you can heal our brother. But Jesus stays. He waits. He doesn't speak a word and save Lazarus' life. In fact, Jesus on purpose lets Lazarus die. Ponder that thought. Jesus on purpose lets Lazarus die. And in this moment, that was the most loving thing that Jesus could do. Because Jesus is only going to operate in ways that are the most loving ways for Jesus to operate. Because the very character and nature of God is love. And so he waited in this moment to demonstrate his love. So number one, Jesus waited to demonstrate his love. Secondly, Jesus waited to display God's glory. Jesus waited to display God's glory. Look at verse 4. We mentioned it just a second ago. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 4 reminds us that life events are designed for us to see God and to know God. Nothing happens in the course of a human life by accident. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by coincidence. Every Event of life is designed for us to see and to know God. And Jesus makes that statement very clear with, with verse 4. This illness does not lead, it, lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so Jesus addresses this situation with full knowledge. He understands that, that his friend Lazarus is going to die. And Jesus knew how the event was going to unfold before it actually happened, which points to his complete knowledge of all things actual and possible, his omniscience. He's fully human. He's limited by space and time. And so they have to send messengers to come to him to give him this message about their brother Lazarus. And so he couldn't just be where he was across the Jordan River and in Bethany with Lazarus. He's going to have to travel four days later to be with Lazarus. So fully human but also fully God, knowing events and outcomes before they occur. Jesus speaks definitively. He says in verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. He doesn't say this, this illness might not. This illness should not. This illness may not. He speaks definitively. This illness does not lead to death. And so Jesus knows exactly how this situation is going to unfold. And he has one glory in, one goal in this situation, and it's God's glory. His primary goal in this whole situation is God's glory. He says it there in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. It is for the glory of God. Lazarus is on his deathbed for one purpose, for God's glory. 
Lazarus is also ultimately going to die for one purpose, for God's glory. So that through this event, the Son of God, God Himself may be glorified through it. It sounds very similar to the event that that happened in chapter 9, right? When the disciples and Jesus happened upon a blind man and the question comes up, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In that event, Jesus said, this guy is blind so that you can see the glory of God. In this event, Jesus says, this illness doesn't lead to death. This illness is so that you can see the glory of God. And so why does Lazarus die? We know the storyline. Lazarus is eventually going to die. He's going to tell the disciples in just a minute. Lazarus is dead. He's going to tell them very clearly. There's a little confusion about what's going on here. He's going to tell them clearly Lazarus is dead. Why does Lazarus die? Lazarus doesn't die just so that he can be brought back to, to life. Lazarus dies so that his sisters, so that the disciples, so that the crowd watching could all see the glory of God on display. So ultimately they could see God and could know God. Which reminds us that events that happen in our life, especially those difficult and tragic events, why do they happen? They happen so that we can see God and so that we can know God. So we can see the glory of God, so we can know the glory of God in pain and suffering and tragedy and difficulty and affliction, we often learn and experience God's grace in matchless ways. That outside of those situations, we would never know. And in those situations, we learn to trust in the divine providential hand of our gracious, kind, loving Father. And in fact, the goal of your life is the glory of God. The goal of my life is the glory of God. And your story up to this point, your life situation, even right now, is for the glory of God. The question has to be, do you recognize this? Do you recognize the fact that you are created for the glory of God? And you are created to see the glory of God and to know the glory of God and to display the glory of God. A follow-up question, do you even want this to be a reality for you? And so Jesus waits in this moment to display His glory. And in doing so, He wants the disciples to see and to treasure that glory. And to experience the joy that comes from knowing that glory. And so what does He do? When He gets word that Lazarus, whom He loves, is ill, He waits. So Jesus waited first to demonstrate His love. Secondly, Jesus waited to display God's glory. Thirdly, Jesus waited to obey the Father's plan. Jesus waited to obey the Father's plan. And so verse 6 we read, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. As Jesus is going all throughout life, as we read in the Gospels, he's constantly following the Father's plan perfectly. Now we think, we read the story, and we think he should rush to Bethany, he should heal Lazarus, or from where he is right here across the Jordan, he should speak a word and restore Lazarus' health. Like that, that just makes perfect sense to us. But what does Jesus do? He's, he just waits. He waits two days. A total of four days are going to transpire. One day for the message to get to Jesus, two days waiting, and one day for Jesus to travel to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Why the delay? The delay is because Jesus is obeying the Father's plan, and it's because Lazarus needs to die. And Jesus wants everyone to know that Lazarus is in fact dead. That there's no doubt about the fact that this guy is dead. And Jesus makes this plain in verse 14 when he tells the disciples, Lazarus has died. They're going back and forth, confused about the reality of the situation. Jesus says, hey guys, you need to, you need to understand this clearly. 
Lazarus has died. Like he's not going to die. He has died. Now, let's be clear, for, for Lazarus, for Mary, for Martha, this was a traumatic, painful experience, like all of us who have experienced death of someone close to us. It's painful. His sisters felt the pain of death and the loss of their brother. Lazarus had to actually die, however that happened for him in this illness. And then we come to verse 6, and John uses this word, the first word of verse 6, so, translated ESV, so, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, it can also be translated, therefore, it's a, it's a purpose word. And so you find that Jesus loved Mary and Martha, verse 5, look at it. Now Jesus loved Mary and Martha, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Like we read that and we're just, something's not right. We have, we have a typo in the scriptures. <laughs> This, this line needs to read a little bit differently. But verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. And so He stays. In response to the terrible news of Lazarus' sickness, Jesus just sits. He just waits. And what does His waiting do? His waiting ensures the death of His friend. Why did Jesus let His friend die? Well, he's motivated by love. Like verse 5 just, tell, just told us, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he's motivated by love. And in being motivated by love, what does Jesus do? He doesn't pack up and take off to save the day. He waits. So he's, he's, he lets Lazarus die because of love. He didn't heal him from his sickness because of love. He didn't rush to the family's side here because of love. He's motivated by love. Now, there's a note we have to make here there's something else at work in this event kind of an undercurrent of the story this this event reminds us that jesus is in no way coerced or manipulated by external forces he's not obligated to respond in any particular way other than to obey the father's plan this is similar to how we saw the first miracle of jesus at the wedding at cana when they ran out of wine at the wedding and his mother says to him hey they're out of wine and he says to her what does this have to do with me my time has not come. He's not going to be pushed into a situation by his mother. He comes later in, in chapter 7 and his brothers who don't believe yet want him to go to Judea and show all of his powers so everybody knows who he is. And he says, no, my time has not yet come. He's not going to be pushed into a situation. And so Jesus is waiting here to obey the Father's plan. So he, he waits to three three aspects of this waiting here and obeying the Father's plan. One, he's waiting Understanding that this waiting was the Father's will. He only did that which was the Father's will. And so his waiting here is the Father's will. Chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus waited here, not going to Bethany, because of the Father's will. Waiting was also the Father's action. Chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So waiting was the father's will. It was the father's action. Also, waiting was the father's work. Jesus is going to pray on the pinnacle of being arrested and ultimately killed in chapter 17. And he's going to say to the father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And so when Jesus is here waiting, not going to Bethany to save his friend's life, he is doing the father's work. 
Which reminds us that as Christians, we become familiar with waiting, don't we? And, and I don't, maybe some of you are just kind of a little bit off that way, but we don't like to wait. But as we see this modeled in the life of Jesus, we're reminded that waiting is not just some passive way to spiritually chill, to spiritually kick back. Jesus, we don't know what he did for two days. We just know he waited for two days. Waiting is actually often active obedience to the Father's plan. And so Jesus is here hitting an intentional pause button with, like, this is not just a, hey, this is good, this could go bad situation. Someone is going to die. Like, this is really a life or death matter. And Jesus waits. So Jesus waited to demonstrate God's love. Secondly, he waited to display God's glory. Number three, Jesus waited to obey the Father's plan. And then, kind of the pinnacle of the whole story here, Number four, Jesus waited to, dis- to deepen his disciples' faith. He waited to deepen his disciples' faith. As we start this interchange between Jesus and the disciples, we see this rhythm of confusion and clarity. And it's always this way, right? The disciples are confused and Jesus clarifies. The disciples are confused and Jesus clarifies. This is a constant reality. And this is true for us, right? We are often confused. And what does Jesus do? He brings clarity into our situation. And so verse 7, after two days have passed, uh, verse 7, then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. So this is now go time. The disciples are confused at this point. Verse 8, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? This is kind of a side conversation, like, are you sure you know what you're doing? I know you're the whole Son of God and all, but those people there that are going to be two miles from where we're going, they wanted to kill you, and you want to go back? The disciples are fully aware of what Judea, Jerusalem means. And the word there in verse 8 is an emphatic position. Like they are emphasizing, you want to go there again? And they said they were just now seeking to stone you. Like we've not moved far from that event, event and you're wanting to go back into the hot zone, into the potential life-threatening event. So confusion on the part of the disciples to which Jesus provides some clarity starting in verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus pointing here to chapter 8, he is the light. And when the light is around, the darkness will not prevail. That's his way of saying, guys, there's no need for you to worry. There's no need for you to worry. I am the light of the world. If you walk in me, you will not walk in darkness. But then he goes on and offers this other clarification to the disciples in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Kind of a cryptic way of saying dying in, in that language. When someone had fallen asleep, it meant that he, that he had died. And he says, I go to wake him. And he says, our friend, so these guys know Lazarus, our friend collectively, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him, pointing to the fact that Jesus is the only one who has the power sufficient to awaken this guy back to life. So there's clarity. Then there's confusion on the part part of the disciples. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. (laughs) It's like, no, if he's really asleep, he's going to be okay. There's no need for us to go. He's going to be all right. 
But then John adds this clarification, verse 13. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So they're confused. If he's asleep, he's going to be okay. Let's just stay here. And they'll send us another word that'll tell us about how he's doing. But there's another reality at work for the disciples here because they realize that death for Jesus probably means death for them. And at the least, it means intense persecution for them. So there's this conversation of sleep. He's falling asleep. He's going to recover. To which Jesus brings more clarity, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. In the language of the New Testament, those words literally mean Lazarus has died. Jesus couldn't put it any more clearly to them. There's, there's no interpretation here. The only interpretation is the one that we find in these three words. Lazarus has died. And so he tells them, he tells them clearly that he is dead. Now Jesus has not gotten word that Lazarus has actually died. What was the word that he had gotten? Your friend whom you love is ill which means he's on his deathbed. But Jesus has complete knowledge of the situation in this moment as the divine Son of God and knows that Lazarus is not just ill. No, he's died. Since we got the message and now that we're ready to go back after two days, no, he has died. He's been dead. But then he goes on and tells them it's best that he's dead. Now this just makes no sense to our minds, right? What do we avoid at all costs? We avoid death, right? And there's value as image bearers to, to pursue health and well-being, okay? So don't, don't go out of here and be, okay, it's all, it's all right to be suicidal. We don't have to worry about death. No, there's value in life, but in, re, in the reality of the situation in the story here, they understand, and Jesus tells them it's best that he's dead because then he goes on in verse, verse 15 and says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. It's best that he's dead. It's, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now, now think about this from the standpoint of the disciples. Right? They're all wigging out because Jesus is saying, we're going back to Bethany. We're going back to where the guys wanted to throw rocks at us. And it's time. And... In all likelihood, the Jews knew of this family's relationship with Jesus. And if Jesus shows up on the scene, then the implication is that he is very well going to do something miraculous. And so attention would have been focused on Jesus. And Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But, I mean, for these guys, they would have been just like any of us would be. Just be like, what? How is it good that he died? How is it good for me that he died? How am I going to believe out of someone dying? Because in their minds, Jesus bringing Lazarus back from the dead does not equate. Right? That doesn't factor into, into, their, into their context and their framework. And then... One of the disciples actually speaks up. This is the first introduction that we have to Thomas in John's Gospel. In verse 16, So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. The, the way the story unfolds, this doesn't seem like a strong, bold, boisterous, well, if he's going to die, we're all going down with him. This is 
almost a concession to that which is reality for him. Well, we've given our lives to him. If he's going to go and die, then we're going to go with him. Which in and of itself is a huge stroke of clarity for from Thomas' perspective. He fully expects this trip to result in death. And he has seen Jesus as being the one who's worth actually dying for. And so he says, we want to die with him. Not die with Lazarus, the way the language reads, die with Jesus. And so Thomas understood of some of what Jesus said, such as Mark chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So, Jesus said Lazarus is dead. He, he, he has died. Why does Jesus let Lazarus die? Jesus lets Lazarus die so his disciples would believe. He didn't let Lazarus die just because he needed a dead body to bring back out of the grave. He let Lazarus die so that his disciples would believe. Which, let's bring this to the point of life where we are. Why does God let things happen in our lives? So that we will believe. Why do things similar to this, whatever that context looks like for you, why do those things happen to us so that we will believe? Jesus said, verse 15, For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. What is the end result? We're kind of a, we'll let the, unpack the storyline there. Jesus shows up and he calls Lazarus out of the grave ultimately. That's how, I mean, that, just spoiler alert right there. But look at verse 45. Look at what happens. After Jesus brings Lazarus out of the grave, calls him out of the grave, look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, what? Believed in him. Believed in him. And then there's this conversation that's transpiring among the Jews, the leaders. Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If, if we keep, if we let this just keep rolling, everybody's going to follow this guy. Everyone is going to believe. And so why did Jesus let Lazarus die? Was it to show that he has power over death? Yes, absolutely. Did Jesus demonstrate he has power over death? Well, calling a dead person back to life demonstrates you have power over death. Jesus did that so he has power over death. To use Jesus' words specifically in this conversation with the disciples in verse 15, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so often what we see as waiting, God sees as moving forward according to schedule. We see waiting, but God is simply moving according to His plan and schedule. There really are no delays in God's economy. And waiting, to just consider our story for this morning, we experience a few things. One, we experience a demonstration of God's love. We experience a demonstration of God's love. Jesus waited according to verses 5 and 6 because He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and because He loved His disciples. In seasons of waiting we learn in a unique way the reality of God's love. Also, in waiting, we experience a display of God's glory. Jesus waited so He could display His glory in this hopeless situation. Lazarus died and His death brought greater glory than any temporary healing that Jesus could have brought. We see God's glory when we wait. We also see a deepening of our faith. We believe 
Jesus waited so this family and his disciples could grow in their faith. And so often we grow in our faith in those seasons when we seem to be on a perpetual pause. We're just waiting. Now, let's be honest. Let's be realistic. Waiting is hard. No one likes to wait. We want the express lane to everything. Waiting is hard. And for this family, they waited four days. Four days not knowing how the event was going to unfold. They only had hope that the one whom they loved was going to do something to change the situation they found themselves in. For four days they waited not knowing what events would occur. But during their waiting, what is God doing? He's working. He's working the whole time. God never hits a pause button. What we see as pause buttons, God sees as constant action in waiting. And it all happens according to plan for the glory of His name. And as we see in Jesus here, He's motivated by love, this greatest expression of which brings us into deeper knowledge and enjoyment of His glory. What is the most loving thing that Jesus could have done for Mary, for Martha, for Lazarus, and for the disciples? Help them to see the glory of God. Not just heal someone. Not just bring someone back from the dead. But to help them to see the glory of God and to show them their God-ordained capacity to actually enjoy that glory. And so what do we do while we wait? I mean, maybe you're in a season of waiting like right now. What do we do? We read stories like this and we're reminded we can trust the one who accomplishes all things according to schedule for his glory. I'll say that again and let this be an encouragement to us as the church. We trust the one who accomplishes all things according to his schedule for His glory. And you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't say, Hey Richard, how do you think we should do this thing? Richard, how long do you think this should take? Richard, has it been long enough? <laughs> He's infinite. I'm finite. He knows all things. I know an inkling of things. And so we can trust the One who accomplishes all things according to His schedule for His glory. What is this event that's about to transpire we'll consider next week? What does this event ultimately lead to? This event ultimately leads to chapter 11 and verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put Him to death. Jesus knew going to Bethany, calling Lazarus out of the tomb, was going to precipitate those events that are going to lead to the ultimate betrayal, arrest, and death of Himself. And He still goes to the grave and says, Lazarus, come forth, and calls him out. Why? Because this is all happening according to plan. What an encouragement to us to know that all things that transpire in life never come as a surprise to the Lord. You didn't see Jesus respond with, oh man, what are we going to do? No, he's fully aware of the situation that was going to happen before the situation happened. And in kindness and love and gentleness, he's steering this family and his disciples toward belief. We can trust the one 
who accomplishes all things according to His schedule for His glory. Even when it seems like He's waiting. He's not waiting. He's working. He's working for His glory and for our good. And ultimately, what is the result? It's our joy. It's our joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You for Your kindness toward us. Lord, we... We confess we are inherently sinners. That's who we are. Not worthy, not deserving of anything good from You. And Father, in Your grace, You help us to see the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And Father, I pray, uh, Lord, even if some folks here this morning, part of our church, who are in seasons of waiting, Lord, that they would truly be encouraged by the text from John 11. And God, that you would use the the words and the story from the life of Jesus with his family and his disciples to, to, to truly encourage and to remind us that there are no pause buttons in heaven You're constantly moving, acting, working. And that means that sometimes we wait. Give us grace to wait in a way that honors You. Thank You that this event was actually best for the disciples so that they would believe. Help us to see events in life in a similar fashion. Understanding that through the realities of life, Our belief in You grows by Your grace and for Your glory. Thank You, Father, that we can trust You, the One who accomplishes all things according to Your plan and for Your glory. And Lord, we trust and know on the authority of the Word that this is truly for our joy. We love You, God. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen.